0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Slab Stocks podcast and YouTube channel. My name is Aaron, your host for this week of the Michael Jordan Documentary Hype Week. I'm joined here by Chris from House of Jordans for part two of our interview series. In part one, we covered the rookie cards between the star, the fleer, the sticker. Uh, great, great insights on the Jordan rookie card market. But now I'm joined by Chris from House of Jordans to talk about 90s inserts. 90s base cards. He's going to give some sweet market information here. He's got a lot prepared, so I'm super excited. Thanks, Chris, for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I uh, really appreciate it, and uh, congratulations on all the success that Slap Stocks has had. Thank you. Thank you. So, what do you got
0: going on there over at House of Jordans? Tell us a little bit about you, yourself really quick.
1: Yeah, we're just a humble podcast, man. We focus on Jordan cards. Um, we do a little bit of analysis of like the modern market, too. So, like basically, we collect Jordan and Luca. Those are our two PCs. So we talk nice. a lot about cards, look at the market, look at the culture of the hobby, talk about visiting shops, stuff like that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. Any content out there, get people involved is what we love. You know, that's why we do it too. Just get people involved in cards, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your expertise and how you got into Jordan's and, you know, what you
1: collect, why. Just let us hear it. Yeah, man. So I'm 33. So, you know, growing up in the 90s, I was young, but I was, you know, witnessing Jordan's greatness and I was collecting cards as a kid. Then, like many of us, I took a long break from cards and I came back in 2016. Uh, you know, a lot of us, we, we got jobs, we became professionals, we settled into life a little bit and then we, we went back to cards and there's a nostalgic connection there to cards for us and we can afford a lot of the stuff that we maybe couldn't afford when we were kids. So there's been like a mass influx. It's very interesting, almost a spontaneous, simultaneous arrival of many of us back into collecting the cards that we collected as kids from the 90s. And then we sort of expand like to modern stuff eventually too. But that's kind of my story in a nutshell. As I came back in 2016. I just started picking up Jordans uh, left and right and learned the market sort of through that. But, you know, cards can be expensive and, you know, you want to be able to participate in cards even if you can't buy everything, you know, so... So we started a podcast so that we can still be participating and contributing to the hobby, uh, even if we're not just picking up cards left and right. We, we can still talk and discuss and enjoy the culture side of it.
0: Awesome. That's great. When do you start that podcast in House of Jordans?
1: We started it in December of 2018. Um, nice. Very informally. it was just, We just kind of sat around a table. And I have a background in music production. So it was pretty easy for me to just set up. It's three of us on the show. It's my girlfriend Christina is a co-host, which is interesting. She brings the the woman's perspective to the table. That's great. Uh, and then my cousin Brian is the other co-host. And so we just we started very informally and casually, but but now we've kind of ramped up, and now we're trying to put out like one episode a week, basically. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, I mean, for myself, I also started around December twenty eighteen. So I actually started up the Instagram page probably in July twenty eighteen, and then through August. But then I went to school for my First semester, junior year, stop for the semester, and then start up really hard in end of December into January 2019. So we're kind of on a similar timeline here of uh, starting amazing. up the content. Yeah, it's it, been really recent.
1: And you guys are doing this full time.
0: Yeah, me and my buddy Nate, who used to – he was a neighbor of mine in Wisconsin for like 10 years when I was growing up. Uh, I moved to Minnesota. He moved to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. We were still pretty close together. And then pretty much like through 2017 to 2018, we got back into cards together, investing in some baseball prospects. And then we had an idea just to start sharing our knowledge and content and card investing tips and this and that. Cause I was always in the cards since I was really young. But then I started getting a really good business mind and applied it to cards. And now here we are, a year and a half later doing this full time together. I mean, I'm a month away from graduating from school. I mean, it's all online now with everything going on, obviously. But yeah, it's it's really fun. I mean, he he's a huge podcaster for us, and I do a lot of Instagram content, but it's a really good mix.
1: Yeah, it's great, man. I remember seeing you guys at that national. Um, you guys really, like, start developing a big presence um, through there. I'm wondering, like, because you guys are at well into the five figures on Instagram followers, like, a really successful brand in terms of, you know, hobby recognition. Like, was there, like, a marker for you when it was just, like, okay, like, something clicked and, like, the flood yeah. gets open?
0: Yeah, it was pretty much – The basketball season, 2019 basketball season, NBA starting that really just like propelled it up like at the national in Chicago, we are just at 4,000 followers. We were in the corner of the show. um, First year getting a booth. I remember people had a really hard time getting a booth for last year's show. Somehow I got one. I don't know. We my, I know my mom was helping me a ton to apply for booths and stuff and we got in really early and then they granted to us. So we got in really early and then after the show into the basketball season, it was just absolutely incredible. I mean, you know, like how many people are coming to the hobby now and all this stuff. Well, the nice thing is that we already had an established brand in some sense. We rebranded to a more futuristic logo look with more futuristic content designs on Instagram, more professional looking pieces. And then from there, it was just nuts. I mean, by the time that it was end of 2019, we were probably at 7,500, 8,000 followers. And then over the last like four months, it's been 4,500 for sure, 4,500, 5,000, we're at like 12 and a half now.
1: Some of you guys did recently that I thought was very clever and, like, that gave a lot of interesting insight into the market was the March Madness tournament comparing the cards. Yeah. Uh, What was the inspiration behind that? I'm just – I'm so curious about that because that was really interesting to see, like, ultimately the LeBron won.
0: Yeah. So it was –
1: Well, I think that –
0: so for those that don't know who are watching this show, back when all the NBA started to get suspended, March Madness canceled – I was like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. People are going to lose interest. I need to figure out something to do to keep people interested. And it's like, well, why don't I make some type of bracket for cards? And it's like, you know, if I put LeBron up against Jason Tatum 1v1, LeBron's going to obviously win. He's worth like $5,200. But then it's like, okay, what if I just have LeBron set set the tier and then everyone else below it just same equal value, and then we can really get a feel for if people value having a high number of cards or if they just want the one big one. I mean you saw Trout and Lebron made it all the way through the tournament, one side at baseball, one side at basketball, and you know, I pretty much just figured out a way to incorporate March Madness with cards and make investors talk about it. And I mean, it's crazy. When I did the selection Sunday, but someone's posted like 60 plus 100 comments on it saying like who they think is going to win and stuff. It's really fun though. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, it it was interesting too because like we see market data, but we don't get to know the psychology of what people are thinking when they buy stuff and their people yep. were in their guts and saying like why they want that LeBron Chrome rookie card instead yeah. of the, 20, the base cards or whatever.
0: Exactly. And even like some of them, like Juan Soto beat Mookie bets 80% to 20%. I don't know how much you're in a baseball, but Mookie just went to the Dodgers. And if there was a baseball season, the Dodgers would for sure be in the world series. Mookie would be a top two player on the team. So that, I mean, it's crazy to see how much people actually value the cards produced in 2018 and 2019 now versus 2014. I mean, you even have a past MVP. I love Juan Soto. Everyone knows that, that we love Juan Soto here, but like still crazy. See 80% of the people voting for Soto. I think it's time for us to start to get in some Jordan data here. Some of these findings that Chris has for us, Chris, let's just start going at it. You drive this wherever you want. You're the expert and
1: you're here to spread your knowledge. Thank you, man. Um, Well, I think like, it's important to recognize the elephant in the room, which is the last dance documentary. And especially with the vacuum of live sports content, just being sucked out of the, the entertainment market. Like, and even movies are no longer being shown in movie theaters. Like this is going to be a primary source of entertainment and it's going to be a topic of discussion. That's going to fill the airwaves of of sports analysis um, for the duration of the run of the last dance documentary. And so it's coming out on April 19th, but like in order for us to kind of anticipate what the MJ market is going to do, we should think about what this documentary is going to do and what it's going to make people think and reflect on. And, So the documentary talks about the 97-98 season, and this was a very strategic decision to focus on that season in particular. Part of it is because this was Michael Jordan's age 35 season. Now, he'd already won five NBA titles by this time, and he was just a global brand, a global icon. And it's interesting that they focus on this one because LeBron James is also in his age 35 season this year. And a lot of people are making a fuss about that, and they should because it's one of the great age 35 seasons, 26 points per game, 11 assists per game, eight rebounds per game, second best team record in the league behind the Bucs.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: right? right? And he's probably going to finish second in MVP voting to Giannis. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's interesting. But here's MJ's 35-year-old season. And this is what you can expect they're going to show in the documentary. 29 points, six rebounds and four assists per game. Scoring title, regular season MVP finals MVP, NBA champion, and the way he won the championship, it was game six on the road in Utah. The Jazz are up by a point with 25 seconds left. Jordan comes around, Carl Malone steals the ball, brings the ball up the court, runs out the clock till it's down to about six seconds, crosses over Brian Russell, and then makes the game-winning shot to put the Bulls up by one. So like a game-winning shot to win the championship, you put all those accolades together. You know, and it's really telling a story about perhaps the most dominant NBA athlete since the NBA became a global brand. So the, this is kind of the impression, I think, that this documentary is going to make. And there's going to be a lot of people learning about MJ for the first time. I wonder your thought about that. Like, you know, because you look at MJ's career in a nutshell. I mean, he's 6-0 and in the finals, including two three-peats, five-time regular season MVP, ten-time scoring champion the best player efficiency career rating ever, the best box plus minus career rating ever. Like no matter what statistical or, or record-based way you want to look at it, he's got a really strong case um, for a GOAT. And so, and so how does that resonate with someone like you?
0: Yeah. So like, obviously I'm probably the next generation behind you. So I grew up mainly in the 2000s. I mean, I was born in 98, you know, I had a little couple of years in the nineties as a kid or child. But, yeah, I mean, I grew up watching LeBron, and I really didn't get into basketball, I want to say, super hard until 2008, 2009 is when I started to play basketball, and that's really what got me into the NBA. So I, the first things I remember seeing is Kobe. I mean, I knew LeBron obviously was amazing, but those 2008, 2009 years is when Kobe was in the titles and stuff against the Celtics. So I remember first Kobe being the GOAT, like, of my generation, and then as I've gotten older, LeBron has obviously peaked – so hard between 2011 2012 with the heat now up to 2019 today when he's still amazing so for myself you know i sit here and i watch lebron i'm like okay obviously this guy's amazing top two player of all time but then i i also have a super huge respect for jordan even i've never watched him play when i was alive, um just because of the the really it's just the brand behind it all i just love the brand between the jordan shoes the jordan cards just all of it mixed together being that icon, being the the cold-blooded killer he is, you know, in-game, it just really makes me th- – I mean, I think he's the GOAT. I love LeBron. I love watching him play. I think that LeBron's an amazing human being for society too. But there's just something about Jordan and leaving the sport, coming back, and just dominating. Like, like, like that. you just can't do – like, not not anyone can do that other than him, really. It's crazy. Like, imagine trying to go play baseball and coming back and winning th- three more championships. That's just where I'm like, it's insane. So, for myself, I also would agree that Jordan's the goat. Um, I wish I was able to live through some of those years of watching and playing in the '90s because I'm sure it's incredible, um, you know. But now I got highlights to watch.
1: Yeah, and, and the documentary is like, you know, going to be highlights on steroids. You also said something really interesting. He had a very maniacal mindset, you know, and and that was kind of part of what gave him an edge. But there was a dark side to that too, you know. He was a gambler. He punched teammates in the face in practice. You know, all that stuff is going to get underscored too. So it's going to tell two, two sides to that picture. And not everybody loves MJ. You know, some mm-hmm. people hate MJ. You know, and, and I, I hope and I think that the documentary is going to tell a well rounded picture like that.
0: I'm not going to lie. I actually think that for a lot of people that didn't grow up watching MJ or have a bad imp- impers- uh, impression of MJ, I think that at the Kobe thing at the Staples Center really did have a lot of wonders for the public image of him. That's a really good speech he gave for Kobe.
1: That's a very interesting observation. I hadn't thought of that. But, you know, MJ doesn't really come into the public spotlight that like, often. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That's why I was so impressed because, you know, being there, I expected LeBron to maybe speak, but I understand why he didn't. But it was very, it was really cool to see Jordan come up and talk about him because I didn't, I that's not what he's expecting. I didn't think he would. It's cool to refer to him as a little brother, like he's teaching to play and stuff because I think that you can draw a lot of similarities between the two. I think a lot of people do. Obviously, you know, no one's going to say Kobe's better than Jordan, but at least between like passing the torch into like, okay, this guy just wants to do anything to win, you know, he doesn't care what people think about him, all that stuff.
1: Well said. Well said. Okay. How about we talk a little bit of market now? Let's do it. Okay. So there was a very, a very interesting opportunity. I had to kind of take a snapshot of the Michael Jordan market, especially focus on the nineties cards right before it was announced that the last dance documentary is coming out. There was a big auction that ended on March 22nd that had hundreds of Michael Jordan cards in it. And I focused on 23 of like the most high profile and the most interesting ones in that market. But it's important to just pause for a second. Like March 22nd, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic was still like very new and fresh. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down like 40% at that time, which it has recovered a little bit now. It's it's at about 21,000 points. It's still up 17% from 2016. So like it's recovered. But like at that moment, it was a very, very scary economic moment, even probably scarier than now. It's so like with this backdrop and like, the announcement of when The Last Dance was going to come out, it hadn't been made yet. So like, this is a really interesting way to like look at the Jordan market pre-announcement at a really tough economic time. So like I said, I made an index of the 23 of the most high-profile 90s Jordan cards. And I, what I did, I compared two data sets. I went back for every single one of those 23. I looked at the highest price the card had ever sold for. I looked at its all-time high. And then I added them all up, and it came out to $102,000. Then I went once that auction ended and I added up the values of the auction ending prices of those same 23 cars. So we're going to see what they sold for on March 22nd versus their all-time highs on March 22nd. The aggregate total was $135,000. So this MJ index was up about 32% over its all-time highs, a very robust performance, all factors considered. That's awesome. So that was, it was a very interesting outcome there. Uh, this is typical for MJ. So like this year we saw Luca cards go up like six to 10 X sometimes like the prison base PSA 10 rookie card was $75 going into the season. And and now it's, it's 400 to 450. So, you know, when you compare like that sort of time horizon, you know, MJ's never do that. They never go up like six to 10 X over the course of an NBA season. Giannis, you know, his cards are up three to five X depending upon which cards you're looking at. Even like the super rare ones, like, the rookie orange prism, like those cards are up very substantially. MJ's not going to do that either. He doesn't go up three to five times over the course of the season. Instead, he's more of like a reliable blue chip type of uh, card acquisition, or at least he has been up until now, right? Now that we have this new documentary bringing a lot of energy and, and new appreciation to him, it's kind of uncertain what's going to happen. But historically, the reason why – MJ cards have moved at the rate that they've moved is that it's just a, it's a purely collector driven market. It's just a bunch of guys like me and we're all pretty much lifers. You know, we're going to be doing this for the next 20 to 30 years, just accumulating Jordans, trading Jordans, flipping Jordans to get the better Jordans. And we're all kind of in our thirties right now, or most of us are. So age 53 is the peak income for males. So we're looking at a time horizon here of about, you know, from age like mid 30s, 33, 10, 20 years, where income is going to incrementally increase for collectors of Jordan cards. And collectors keep coming in, you know, every year, we're seeing more and more of us come back to collecting Jordan cards. So Jordan has a, has a, has a very, you know, blue chip style trajectory to his market. But that's based on pure hobby factors, you know, just pure love of cards, pure people just wanting to connect to that Arab cards, appreciate the artwork and the technology and the design that went into those cards and the history of those cards. This new variable of like an awakening and an awareness of who Jordan was to a generation of collectors and, and sports enthusiasts who maybe weren't totally familiar with it could alter the market in, in many different ways. But as a historical snapshot of kind of like where we're coming from, that's, that's a decent look at what the Jordan market looks like.
0: Awesome. Thanks for the that info. That's great. With that, like, I know you said this new variable can be something really crazy. I mean, we've seen a new variable added to the modern sports market so far, and it has been crazy, I must say. I've been very, very in tune to the sports car market for two years now, like religiously looking at eBay deal, daily and understanding how, like, how crazy it has been because I've been living through the times of it's hard to make a car go up in price. You really need a player to be a, the next big thing to have it do that. Now it just takes more people wanting them to do it. So how can this new variable apply to Jordan market, maybe mid-end Jordan market, any type of Jordan market? How do you foresee this playing out with the documentary? And, you know, obviously the economy now might have something to do with it. It won't be as crazy as it could have been. But let's just I just want to hear your take on that.
1: Yeah, so to your last point first, um, the economy uh, being a very uncertain state for the foreseeable future is going to be, a mitigating factor against like what it possibly could have been. But like the flip side of that coin is because we have no live sports and like entertainment is at a premium right now, if anybody can provide like engaging entertainment, it's going to do very well. We're gonna have so many more eyeballs focused on this documentary than would have been otherwise. So those kind of maybe end up balancing each other out. I don't know. We'll see. And then how does like this variable come in? You know, I mean it it it's when you look at like the, the 49ers going to the Super Bowl, during that period, cards like Joe Montana and, and some of the great 49ers legends, they see little uh, spikes in value just because people are thinking about the 49ers and then they start wanting to seek out cards of those guys. This is going to be like that, you know, but an order of magnitude bigger. You're, you're going to have so many people start thinking about Jordan and his legacy some subset of those people are going to think about as cards and they're going to go look them up and they're going to want to seek them out. They're going to want to add some of them to their collection. And then there's going to be a whole another group of people who are anticipating that that group exists. And so they're trying to stock up on the cards right now so that they can sell them for a premium once the documentary starts rolling out. So there's a lot of like nuances here that are very difficult to predict. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if this energy lasts beyond the documentary, or if we're going to see a spike during the documentary, but then people like once the next season of sports comes back, or once the NBA comes back, or whatever the case may be, if people go back to stuff and they're like, oh, "Okay, I like this," or maybe we're going to see a bunch of new Jordan collectors minted from this experience. It's very much up in the air, but those are kind of the two possibilities I think.
0: Interview, but I could easily see people sitting on their couch. Who know about cards, of course. So that subset we're talking about that is in tune to card market, whatever. Just go on and look up Michael Jordan PSA 10, sort from lowest buy it now to highest buy it now, and people will just start clicking buy now all over the place. I could see it happen easily.
1: In preparation for this show, I was looking at eBay sold and completed. I did exactly what you said, except instead of looking at the current auction, I went to sold and completed from yesterday, April 4th. And I was looking at all, it was just bin, 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 bin of PSA 10s. Just way more than we usually see.
0: Right. And of course, what happens here is there are a ton of those base Jordan, upper deck, hoops, tops, whatever you have it from the nineties that are normally worthless, but then you put them in a PSA case, put a 10 on it and it instantly becomes a not as overproduced card once it has a PSA ten, it's in the population report. And when you put the PSA ten label on it, it just instantly becomes something that people want to trade. It's got it's in the population report, and there's some type of scarcity applied to it, other than when it's just a raw Jordan card from hoops 1990 that no one's going to want to buy. What, yeah, a, what do you see happening here with those cards that at one point were probably undesirable for Jordan collectors? I I don't know the Jordan market. I'm not in the Jordan community like you. How are these '90s cheap PSA tens that are like 30 to 50 bucks? How are those perceived from Jordan collectors? Like, are you guys gonna be mad once these things triple in price? And like, because you guys wanted to buy
1: all that high end stuff, but you're gonna see this stuff three x overnight probably. Yeah. Oh, there will be anger about this for sure. (laughs) People are not gonna love that, and it is gonna happen. You're absolutely right. Um, You know, a lot of guys have those cards and binders somewhere. You know, and that they just kept from childhood. Um, but but you're right. You put it in a PSA 10 slab, and suddenly you've got a pop report you can look at. It limits the print run it f- effectively. Um, so the Jordan community is is going to be in for a shock a little bit here. Um, seeing, but but oftentimes that energy trickles up. So mm-hmm. people see suddenly that like there's this energy going on, in and, and maybe the lower end base PSA 10s, and like all of a sudden that energy is like being is infused into other segments of the Jordan card market. too. Oh,
0: I totally agree. And for those listening who know the modern market, like myself and the other, our audience, it, a good equivalent here is all the people that were probably buying, let's say immaculate rookie patch autos of some of these guys. Like let's say Jason Tatum, immaculate rookie patch autos. Let's see, we're buying them at $500 a piece. They're probably worth around a thousand now. Everyone at that same time, when those are 500 is base PSA tens were like 30 bucks. So all those went from 30 to 300, 10x, and the Tatum and RPA is 2x to 1,000. All those people with the RPAs are probably hacked about that, you know. So it's going to be a very similar type of—I uh, don't know—people are going to hold it against each other, maybe. But we'll we'll see how it happens. I
1: mean, it'll be fun to watch. That's very very well said. Um, that kind of provides a decent segue, I think, into maybe talking about some specific cards to watch. Because yeah. like the 90s is is can seem daunting. Um, I would submit that like the entirety of the 90s, you had about 20 different relevant brands and 2018, 19 Panini basketball products alone, you have about 30 different brands. So like you can understand 2018, 19 basketball, like your audience is is masters of that type of product. Like you are then like, you can understand the nineties too. It's, it's, it's actually more simple. Um, but sometimes you don't really know where to start. So like, maybe here's a few cards to keep an eye on, um, that are interesting, uh, on a number of levels. Like the first one, and I actually have a copy of it here with me is the 93, 94 ultra scoring Kings. And so I'm going to show you this card. Tell me, you've probably seen this card before. i think I've seen most it. people. Yeah. So this is, this is, this is like uh, I call this kind of MJ's insert rookie card. Uh, it's not technically his first insert. But it was the first, like, insert to make a splash. It was kind of like the first Chase insert. And it was designed by Arena Design, who was, a, an arti- like, a, two artists as a couple who had a company. And they designed most of the best 90s cards were designed by them. So, like, this is historic from the perspective of, like, this was their, like, first, like, landmark insert. Uh, it was the first, like, real Jordan Chase insert. And MJ Collectors, but even beyond MJ Collectors, everybody knows that card. You know, and you you show somebody that card, they know what you're talking about.
0: Interesting thing here, really quick, is that those de- designers you're talking about—they're actually on Instagram, right—and they share information about their designs that they made. I've know I noticed them about, I want to say, three months ago, and then you brought it to my attention again, like within the last couple of days. But it's interesting to see them actually hash back designs from 20 plus years ago and discuss how they designed them, because that's one thing that's very closed off between collectors and what's happening they don't know who designs the cards they don't know anything about why they designed them that way it's really cool to see that
1: in our way to learn about the designs which is awesome it is man um you know 90s collectors just like we've they're they're idols and legends to us when you see arena design make a post we all go crazy we you know we we read it we devour every word you know we get excited (laughs) we leave comments (laughs) just because we idolize them basically so uh it's amazing that they've come into the social media space and they're engaging with us and they're telling us stories behind the cards. Like they have a post about Scoring Kings where they talk about like how they designed the little Scoring Kings logo and sort of their philosophy behind they always wanted to make the players look like heroes. And so when they were designing inserts, that was always sort of the mindset was like making these players look like heroes and and, and sort of deifying them in order to really like convey how they, how the NBA and how the manufacturers want to convey the players. The PSA 10 pop is 95. Um, And this is one of the more uh, higher print run MJ inserts from the nineties, but it's very condition sensitive. So a PSA 10 pop of 95 is, is kind of on the high end for MJ inserts, but in the context of modern cards, in the context of, you know, where we've seen pop reports for cards go lately, a PSA ten pop of ninety five is, is pretty low. That's Very pretty low. low. <laughs> I mean,
0: we're <laughs> talking ten t- like nine thousand for Luca PSA 10. So yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and then what I showed was a PSA nine. Now I just want to give like like four data points here. So the value of that card right now is we're about two weeks away from the documentary is a thousand dollars. A year ago it was four hundred dollars. Two years ago it was three hundred dollars, and three years ago it was two hundred dollars. So that kind of tells the story of, one, like more collectors coming back in, but two, there's especially anticipation being built in to the market for this card as we're coming up on the documentary. You had a a guest already talk about the 86-87 Fleer. Uh, I want to add just a little factoid about it. Yeah, go for it, for sure. So this is probably the most important basketball card set in history. You know, there might be some arguments to be made about some other sets but it's it's up there now here's some food for thought if you had invested one thousand dollars into 86 87 flare boxes upon release they were 10 bucks a pop you would have 8.5 million dollars in wax right now wow right. now compare that a, a buddy of mine heard me kind of talking about this stuff and he said well what about like microsoft like that's considered one of the all-time great stocks. Like, what if we compared, what if you bought at the IPO of Microsoft $1,000 worth of that stock? It'd be worth about $2.2 2 million right now. So that kind of contextualizes just how desired that set is. That
0: Yeah, the- and... It interesting thing, which is why sports cards does so well is because once it's made and we're past that year, there's none coming out. So that's, right. that's really why it goes up in value so much is because of that, which is, you know, Microsoft, you can still buy stock today, a ton of it, but it's really cool. It's awesome. That's that's a really good bit of info, by the way. I had no idea that that was that cheap. That's 10 bucks a box. Oh my gosh. We're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor.
1: Yeah. I mean, nice. it was the first, you know, NBA licensed basketball set to happen after an extended period where they didn't have any, and it ha- so it has the rookie cards, just so many legends like Jordan, Elijah, et cetera. So it's a very very key set, and of course the Jordan is you know the cornerstone of the set, and the so the PSA 10 pop is 312, which is very low, considering PSA has graded this card over 18,000 times. That's just PSA. That's right. Ridiculous. So like very low PSA 10 pop. So nice scarcity factor built into that PSA 10. And the last two auctions of this card have been $45,000 and $49,000. So the card, those are both all-time highs. So like the card is, is very robust right now. One year ago, that card was $28,000. Two years ago, it was $20,000. 3 years ago, it was 20000 But this is interesting, and this is important to keep in mind. Four years ago, now we're looking at 2016, something very interesting happened. This card had a run-up in value, and it went up to $30,000 like four years ago almost to the day. And it got even a little bit higher, and then it came back down. Now, that's kind of a function of the fact that, like, there's almost always a PSA 10 available. Uh, every PWCC auction is usually going to have one of them at least. Um, there's usually maybe one or two more people selling them on eBay. So, like, this card can, even though it's POP 312, it can be, it can be available a little bit, so like, I I I just advise caution when looking at the the FLIR RC because like, it's it's benefits are it's very liquid. Um, if there's people who don't even collect basketball who want to put that card into their PC. So like, there's lots of benefits to it, but it's also very high population, and it's almost always available. So, the market for that card can can see like massive spikes but it can also retreat. And that's like a common theme. You know, we see that with the tops Chrome, 2003, LeBron, we saw that go all the way up to like 7,000 plus, and now it's retreated back to like 4,500 to 5,000. So yeah. just something to keep in mind when you look at like, and, and that applies to all grades of the Fleer MJ.
0: I got a question here. So why do we, why do you think that we see at least one being available at any given moment of because like 312 yeah you know 312 is a lot but then you compare it to some other stuff and it's really low and then you also add the fact like i think most people who have a psa 10 and mj are not going to sell it in their lifetime or at least over the next like 30 years like why does that happen if you have any thoughts on that
1: that's a great question that is a really fantastic question and the honest answer is i'm not sure all I can say is that I watch a lot of auctions and I this card is is more available than maybe it should be. Maybe, you know, if somebody maybe wanted to go back and look at um, the historical auction data and, like, look at the serial number on the slab, is it maybe the same 20 cards just kind of getting bought and then resold again? That could be, I don't know. Uh, but but you make a good point, too. Maybe, especially now, uh, people are going to start locking away that card and then maybe we're not going to see it pop up as much.
0: Yeah, that's why it's so interesting to me to even think that It hasn't gone up more possibly with this huge influx of demand. I mean, of course, 44,000 or 49,000, you know, the new sales, those are all-time highs, but we're seeing all-time highs everywhere. So it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that that has an all-time high right now. But it's interesting to see. I think that you're going to have exciting time tracking this card probably more. Do you have a lot of Fleer 86 Jordans or are you like, I'm just going to have one and then I got all my 90s stuff?
1: Uh, I had two PSA sevens that were really nice and like something that you want to do when you're buying this card is like, even don't even look at the technical grade uh, as the end all be all because the eye appeal and the way that the card presents is a very important part of the value of the card. Even if no matter what the technical grade is. So I have acquired two PSA sevens and I always want to find like the nicely centered copies. Mm -hmm. Um, But I sold both of them, <laughs> so I have no uh, FLIR RCs left in my PC at all. Um, those are the trade-offs that we have to make as collectors. You know, uh, I sold both of them when I was kind of trying to fundraise and build a little war chest to buy some of the more bigger '90s Chase cards that I ended up acquiring. But I have owned the, those cards in my PC. Um, they're great, great cards, but but they're also always available. So, yeah. yeah, I
0: I actually have a PSA two I acquired at the National this year. So that right. was the first. That was the first like MJ card I've owned. I mean, of course, I've had like you know one of those base cards we're talking about. But I'm saying like I've actually went out and bought was a PSA two eighty six Fleer. It's definitely scratched all over the surface. It's it's mangled. <laughs> it is still a Jordan eighty six. It's PSA graded and it has nice centering. But the corners are destroyed.
1: So <laughs> you know. It, yeah. it, for PSA 2 nicely centered, I mean, that's that's probably the best you're going to do. Exactly. I'm just happy to have it. And then also, I've got a couple of these Nike
0: promo cards here. Now, I'm just... I I, I like Nike a lot. I like Jordan a lot, which is mostly why I'm really fascinated with Jordan is because I'm, I'm just big into the whole brand that surrounds basketball, NBA, the brands that contribute to it, the stars that align with the brands, all that stuff. So I've got one of these PSA 9 85 oh. promos here. Now... I am not in a Jordan community like you are. I just love Nike and I love Jordan shoes. So I bought this because I was like, this thing's awesome. It's from 1985, so it's before the '86 yep. Fleer. It's after I want to say '84 '85 Star, so it's kind of right between the two. So I bought this for three hundred dollars, like a month ago. They're not. I just saw the most recent bin on a PSA nine go for eight fifty. So this was this was one of those cards that I have a feeling that people like you and maybe I mean I know you like me so I'm not saying you're holding against me, but maybe some other collectors out there and be like, man, I hate that that kid just saw a $500 increase in value on that stupid promo Nike
1: thing. Do do people hate these? Do people hate no, these? I mean, cool. I mean uh, you know, it's it's oversized, um, which like is a turnoff to a collector yeah. like me. But, like, but, look, it I can barely even fit in my hand. Like, it takes up my entire hand. <laughs> No, I know. It, that card, uh, that, that's, that's a nice like niche Jordan card that that is going to get you some respect, honestly, because not everybody knows about that card. But the people who do know about that card, they really appreciate the history and the legacy behind that card and how it ties into Nike and Jordan's brand and everything else that you laid out.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is like one of the most famous posters of all time that Nike has ever produced, which is why I'm like, dang, I got to have that. And I'm sure that a lot of other people are like me and thinking that. And I mean, now these you guys definitely hate. These are some just little PSA nines from 1991. These, I don't know if you've ever seen these. They've got I've Spike Lee. You know, you never seen these. So this is from 1991. It's got Jordan and Spike Lee on it. It's a it. It was in like a trading card set that Nike put out. They put out this with a bunch of other Jordan Spike Lee ones. They I think they had some Ryan Sandberg in there and weird stuff like that. But I mean, seriously, like a fifteen dollar PSA nine right here. If these go to fifty bucks. You guys are gonna be so mad if these
1: go to fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, no man, that's those are those are really cool oddball cards. Yeah, like, and there's definitely a group of MJ guys who love oddball cards.
0: Yeah, and these, these are undersized actually. So these are these are narrow, these are smaller. So I got the Weird Jordan stuff over here. I got the PSA two eighty
1: six Fleer. <laughs> that's so I'm, yeah, that's so interesting. That's that's such a, a pleasant surprise that you're yeah. sitting on cards like that. I mean, that's that's really fun.
0: Yeah, just something for everyone, Jordan, though, right? I mean, isn't that great? Very, <laughs>
1: very, very true. Okay, awesome. All right. so, um, so the Jordan market kind of has like three parts to it. I talked about Scoring kings, which is an insert. Talked a little bit about the 86 Fleer as a representative of the rookie aspect. But like you said, there's other rookie cards, too. There's 84, 85 star. There's the interlake rookie card, um, so like there the rookie market is interesting. there's also the flare sticker, and then the other part of the Jordan market is like the parallels um, which are shorter printed um, and especially in the later nineties became a very important part of the Jordan you know card canon. Uh, but the one I want to talk about is one that has historical import um, because maybe that's a way that people can understand it and then branch out into others. It's the ninety three ninety-four finest refractor. It's card number one in the set. This was the first refractor ever made, and MJ is the first card in the set. So f- for some people, that's really intriguing historically, like the first card in the set, the first refractor ever made from a great brand, the tops rolled out finest.
0: Man, you now, gotta be like you gotta be like you and me to appreciate that, like complete card nerds to be like, man, first refractor ninety four ninety five, <laughs> like, like I I even know what that card is, and like the my people out there are probably like, man, that's so stupid, first card I said, who cares? Well, <laughs> you
1: know, it there, it's it's a hook, it's a way to think I agree. about it,
0: totally, agree. Um, and it's a
1: really unique looking card. Um, I had a copy once i don't, I no longer have it, but it's a really unique looking card. But you got to be careful because sometimes the surface can be a little faded. It can be a little green. So you want to like, even when a card is slabbed, you still want to inspect it. Um, so the PSA 10 population on that card is 40. So now we're getting into that like pretty scarce territory. The current value of it is $7,000. Uh, if you look one year ago, it was 3,000. If you look two years ago, it was 1,700. So we're seeing a robust trend in the upward direction on that card too.
0: I, I got a question on this and you, because I like that you are in the Luka Doncic market because this actually makes our discussion better because you have knowledge about the modern car market too. How yeah. do you think Prism Silver has impacted Finance Refractor from 94? Because if you say last year this thing went from, what do you say, like 3000 to 7000 yeah. that's That's a large increase for a Jordan card, especially when you know the documentary wasn't into the effect. It's not like that's in the last month. Like that's in the that's in the span where we saw Luca Prism Silvers go from four hundred to fifteen hundred to two thousand. So what what do you think that market had to do anything with this? Because even myself, I went and searched out this card, so I know of the card because I looked at it because of the whole fact. I'm like, self, I searched out the card because I knew of it was like a refractor type, looking like two thousand eighteen Prism Silver. Like, how much do you
1: think that adds to the value of that card? A lot, man, so much. Um, And I think there's also a lag. So like, I think a lot of people are huge on the the prism silvers, obviously, and we haven't fully seen that interest translate into people looking at and becoming interested in 90s refractors yet. Like, I think there's still going to be more people who are going to make that connection as time goes on. So like, to that point, the other like first refractor is the 96 Chrome. So that was when that was the first year of Chrome. That was the first Chrome refractor. Um, That product is incredibly sought after because you have Kobe um, rookie cards in there, like the Kobe Chrome refractor in there. And a lot of people, like Finest um, was the first refractor, but 96 Chrome is like a more direct analog to Prism. So like 2012, Panini was like consciously when they put out Prism in 2012, and even including in their sell sheets and their marketing, like we are picking up where the Topps Chrome brand left off. And now you have like Optic, which is making a, an argument to be, you know, I, I heard a really interesting recap you guys did on like 2019-20 Optic on your podcast. and Like you guys have talked about this too. Like Optic is sort of making its, you know, push to be the heir to the Topps Chrome uh, series. But, but like 2012 Prism, like we're seeing that set, the base cards from that set become like very intriguing and popular. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the LeBron <laughs> PSA 10. A thousand. a thousand. Well, here's a nice analog to that LeBron. Uh, the 1996 Chrome Michael Jordan. So, like, 2012 Prism LeBron were like deep into his career by that point. He's the first card in the set, you know, very sought after card. The 96 Chrome Jordan is very analogous to it. And the population for the PSA 10 is only 101. So, you've got a pretty small pop there. I think that's potentially a card that, like you said, like when people start thinking and relating like Prism and Silvers back to. 90s products that are worth chasing we could see even more i think interest flowing into like chrome and chrome refractors finest finest refractors so those are some that's a great tip you gave And i think those are cards that people might want to start thinking about and looking at as they make those type of connections
0: yeah even for myself like a lot of people out there know that i I collect soccer very hard because of the fact that i do so much work in the baseball and basketball market and help other people buy i basically is just like you know i'm just gonna buy and sell soccer because of the fact that I can easily relate soccer with Prism and whatever they have select and Topps Chrome to basketball. And with that, I mean, I also collect LeBron Prism stuff because I'm a huge LeBron fan. I collect some Jordan stuff like I just showing you. Personally, I would love to pick up a 96 Topps Chrome Jordan because of the fact that it has Kobe in the set. It has Allen Iverson it's a star of Topps Chrome. You know, I grew up as Topps Chrome was the set. I was – I must say, I started really big in the football cards when I started collecting when I was around 10 or 11. So I know all the sets for basketball because I know all the football sets, and they're similar because Tops did both at the time. But now, like, I'm, after this podcast, I'm literally going to go look up PSA 9 because I can't afford 10 for sure or anything close to it, or PSA 8 or 7, 96 MJ Chrome. How much can I expect to spend on, like, a 7 or 8 Chrome MJ based or refractor? I mean, you might not know that offhand, but... Any guess? I don't know
1: it offhand. I know the PSA ten is around five hundred dollars ish. I think. Oh, so I should be I should be totally fine picking something. You should be, up. You should be fine, and <laughs> it's it's interesting to comp it to that LeBron because you know the the LeBron only very recently went to a thousand dollars. I mean that mm-hmm. card was was dirt cheap. Um, well, not long. We're, we're talking a hundred bucks
0: six months ago. We're talking three hundred dollars three months two months ago. One month ago, even possibly, I think it was around four hundred dollars a month ago.
1: Yeah, so like you're gonna see an increase when PSA reopens its doors in the pop report on the PSA ten on that card, because so many people are gonna send they're gonna pull it out of their binder and send it in to get it graded. Mm-hmm. But uh the Jordan has already been on the radar for a long time. And so that the Jordan PSA ten pop of about hundred and one is probably a lot more
0: fixed. Stable. And, yeah. I I'd even argue so yes, I'm sure they'll bring PSA top. Pop is going to go up. But there's a lot of people who are new to this thing that are going to have the LeBron or go on eBay and find a LeBron big. Oh, I'm going to grade that easily turn my $100 card into $1,000. There's going to be a lot of PSA 7s, 8s, and 9s going to have the LeBron market too to where I think I'm not saying that this card deserves to be $1,000. I think it went up way too fast. I think it's around a $500 card, all elements taken into consideration. My biggest nostalgic two sets out there 2008 Tops Football is the first set I ever started building, 2012 Panini Prism. I never built the set, actually, ended up donating the 2012 Prism cards I have. I had at the time, I was in eighth grade in middle school. I loved basketball at that time, and I was just like, Prism's new. And I'm gonna buy it. And I love the retail packs. I go to Target all the time. I probably bought three boxes of retail throughout just opening packs. And if I just want to save those, I'd have like 7K today or something. <laughs> but the biggest point is, is that I think that this card has so much going on for it that people don't understand. I think that you and I understand it because we understand weird, you know, nuances like that with the LeBron, his first heat real panini card. That is the card people want. And I think that if this thing stays around 50% PSA 10 rate, it could stay at $1,000. I mean, if, if a tongue gets submitted and it goes up to 70%, then that's a different story. But there's, if it stays in, at least in terms of demand and supply, it stays level as of right now between more getting added, more people still buying, I think we'll be fine.
1: Well said. Well said. I, I tend to agree with that. So I, I want to talk about a couple other base cards to sort of round out the discussion now. Uh, and one of them is this one. So this is the ninety-seven ninety-eight Metal Universe base card. And this card um, has had an interesting history. It's, it's very difficult to grade, by the way. This graded a six, uh, <laughs> hence why it's in a card saver now rather than a slab. Um, but uh, it's so very difficult to grade. So, but this card has a very interesting history because uh, last year, last February, the Michael Jordan PMG Green which is a parallel to this card and it's numbered to 100, but the green only has 10 copies. It's the first 10 numbers in the print run that card in a PSA authentic altered slab. So the card is altered. Didn't receive a technical grade, but in a, in a slab. So it's authentic sold for $350,000. That's insane. The, The previous eBay sale for that card goes back to 2007. That's how rare it is to see this card sell. And it sold for $5,000.
0: Wow. Wait, I got a question. So you bring up a point that this, it's so rare for this card to sell. But I'm thinking, okay, you said 97 this card's from? This from 97. It's from 97. How rare is it to see, let alone sell? How many have you seen unique copies out there of the 10? We can account as a community for about four. wow okay so this this thing is even if there is 10 it's even more rare than that because there might be four or there might be you know 10 but only four have been seen uh, of those four seen only one or two sells every 10 years (laughs) that's what i'm saying
1: man it's insane (laughs) now there there's rumors that there's one like mega collector who has like four of them is this an urban legend i who knows but but that's a rumor um there's there's also a very funny rumor that one guy once ripped one of the 10 in half. He was so upset at a card show. This is, you know, so a lot of lore goes along with this card, right? Okay. What happened was after that card sold and set, set many interesting like basketball card records, so to speak, the Chicago Tribune did an article on it. Um, lots of different media outlets covered it. And one of the trickle-down effects that we saw was this card became very in demand. Um, it's the same. The design is the same. Uh, in fact, some people even like the design of the base card more because it it's shows got more, more color. color. Man, right? It's yeah, yes. And of course, I, I should note that Arena Design made this card too. So like, there, yeah, to connect that. Dot, I mean, th- this is why they're so idolized now. So, when the what we saw, just like a little news story about this PMG green, caused a huge ripple effect through the Michael Jordan card market, and it put this Metal Universe base card on people's radar. Now, the card had a spike, especially raw values, they spiked and then they declined. But the PSA 10s, those kept going up. To your point about when it's difficult to grade a card and you got supply versus demand, if the supply is, is, is suddenly being overwhelmed by the demand, especially w- which can happen for people who really want those PSA 10s, that card, the PSA 10 held steady, even as interest started to wane for the card. So this is one that I would say, like, add to your watch list or put it on your save searches um, on eBay. Now, let me, uh, let me indulge my collection just for just a second here. Um, so in 2018, I made the biggest card purchase I ever made, which this is not the green, but it's the PMG red of that card. And it graded a very humble PSA 5. Now, this, is, this was my grail. Um, and I, I had to meet a guy at a car dealership to pay for the card in cash. And the guy took the cash and immediately bought a car. So, and, and I walk away with the card right so but um the card has done very well since i bought it um and the pmg green sale had obviously a good ripple effect on that card too um that's that's kind of like the the realm where a lot of mj collectors ultimately end up is chasing those super rare parallel grail cards and there's not very many from 90s there's maybe 15 of them that are like super big chase cards for like collectors so like i'll show you maybe a few other ones i think that are highly sought after this one is called um molten metal fusion titanium i've seen this serial number to 40. that is a sick card yeah so that's that's a big chase item and when when modern collectors hear serial number to 40 you know they might think well mojo is to 25. so what what's but but the difference is um or like the PMG red is, is number to, is number to 100, but there's 90 of them. So when when people hear these print runs they think, well that's not so that's not so low, but it is in the sense that there are no other parallels. Yeah. In the 90s you got one parallel to the card, and that's it so like for this one you have there's two there's two of them. there's this one out of 40 and then there's the base version which is out of 250. And if, when you look at modern product, you add up all the different parallels, it starts to give you a different picture, right? So like, it's a way to sort of, I developed a collecting philosophy after about being in Jordan's for about a year and a half. I said, I'm going to take a shortcut to the finish line. And I want to start getting these grails before other people sort of more naturally get to that point, because I'm not going to be able to afford them after a while. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I couldn't afford these cards for what they sell for today.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. awesome. Show me that show me the PMG Red again. I want to see that. Sure. And this, you there's 90 of these now because of the fact that their green was 10. So this one's serial numbered out of 100 on the back.
1: Correct. And you bought it raw. I bought it raw. It had previously been graded a BGS eight. Um, so I was hoping and I paid a price that reflected that it would grade better than it did. But um, PSA has and bgs but psa especially has become very careful about handing out high technical grades on these very condition sensitive 90s cards i think there's a chance i could cross it back to bgs maybe but i think it presents better in a psa case and this is a card for me that i'm going to have forever so yeah uh, lifetime card you're not concerned
0: about the five absolutely. versus the eight and i mean that's that's crazy like you so you obviously did your research on it. You knew it was grade in eight. Did he present that to you? Or was he like, hey man, here's my raw card, inspect it, you know?
1: No, I, I inquired with him. Um, I said, Look, uh, you know, I'm looking at auction history. This card has the same serial number, the one that you're selling raw has the same serial number as a BGS eight. I'm assuming this is the same card. And he said, Yeah, it is. It was a BGS-8. The prior owner cracked it out because he was a purist and he hated slabs. And he just wanted the card inside of, you know, a one touch. He, he preferred to enjoy it that way. And I respect that. I definitely respect that. But, um, I said, no, I'm going to get this into a slab immediately. Um, I need to make sure the authenticity is verified in this card. I want it. I want to make sure it's not altered and I want to get a technical grade. And so I went to PSA and I did a one day walkthrough service level and was very disappointed when the grade came back. But as I look back now and, um, from an investment standpoint, it's done incredibly well for me. But from the collector perspective, it's, it's my crown jewel. It's, it's my absolute favorite card that I'll ever own.
0: That's awesome. Congrats on that. I love to hear that. That thing is Thanks. insane because uh, you know, when I was growing up, when I was 10 or 8 or something, I would look through a shoebox of cards. I wouldn't stumble upon that, but I'd stumble upon the Metal Universe 97 cards that are players. And you know, I always thought that they were cool. I always thought they were funky. Of course, now here I am. Twelve years later, thirteen years later, talking to someone who owns a PMG uh, <laughs> red out of a hundred—that is insane. And I, I mean, I love that card
1: to even look at through my computer screen right now. <laughs> it's 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 one of the things is why we love collecting. It's one of the reasons why is those Grail Chase level cards. All right, there's one last card I want to talk about, and we touched on this a little earlier, but I brought it out, and so I figured let's talk about it a little bit anyway. This is one of those early Fleer base cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I this saw it the one. other day. They're, yep, this is ninety ninety one Fleer, which is a really interesting season because that was the first ever Jordan Bowles Dynasty era title. So it's, an, it's a very interesting card to have from a sort of a historical perspective. And it's got a great photo. Um, but the thing to keep in mind with these cards, um, if for people who are maybe thinking, I want to buy Jordan cards ahead for a long time, I want their value to do well for me over the long time. The PSA population on that is 2,800. It's pretty high. Um, and there's a lot of Jordan base cards out there that are gonna have higher populations like that. Now, I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, maybe there will be hundreds of new Jordan collectors who are created by this documentary and by this new moments, but maybe there won't be. So we are gonna see prices increase on cards like that. But it's important to just kind of think about maybe it will be a good time to sell those if you're, if you're just looking to, to make a smart investment. Maybe it'd be a good time to sell those before the documentary ends. Mm -hmm. Um, They might not be as sustainable value-wise.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I don't mean to relate this in any way to what happened to Kobe or anything, but what I saw happen to the Kobe Tops base card through that tragic moment, it was very obvious that there was a huge influx of people for a terrible reason, obviously. And... As the months went on, it has died down incredibly to the point where it went from it went up to three hundred dollars very fast. That top space card, I don't know what it's at, today, but I venture to guess it's probably seventy five dollars under a hundred. I think. Um, so, if you are looking at this Jordan documentary as an investment, type type of you know moment that can happen because we don't have any playoffs basketball right now, I would agree with Chris for sure in the fact that if you buy these, let's say today or tomorrow or whenever and you plan selling them through the, um, through the documentary, do that, but I would highly suggest not doing, you see the documentary area, you're halfway through the documentary, you love what's going on, and then you start to buy that FLIR 9.5 for maybe three times the price what it was today, and then you're in trouble, because all those cards that people want at that time, the, the, just the demand for cards that aren't that interesting dies down very fast, So I will say it's also like those Kobe high-end ones are staying up super high because they're really rare. They barely hit the market, and there's a huge collecting base for Kobe, even bigger now. But the ones that there's just so many out there, I mean, it's just not going to do it. So that's why Mm -hmm. I think Chris brings up an excellent point to be careful through his documentary, but also use it as as possibly an investment-gaining area or even just collecting area. Sure, buy it today if you just want to hold on to it. Like today, I bought a 1991. I don't know if you know what this card is. 1991 Skybox Team USA, where it says Barcelona in horizontal letters up the side. Because I spent four months in Barcelona a year ago for studying abroad at school, and I really just wanted. PSA 10. I paid thirty dollars for it. I have no idea how much the card is worth. (laughs) I just went and put lowest buy it now on eBay. Like that's thirty bucks. That's nothing. I'm just gonna buy it. I'm sure if I looked at auctions, it was probably a ten dollar card six months ago or something. Who knows? But
1: that card for 30 bucks, I think you did okay. And yeah, that's exactly. Like, you got a great connection to it. Um, yeah. That's, that's awesome, man.
0: Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, that's why it's so much fun, though. I mean, just to go and look at what you can buy and how you can relate to yourself or those moments you had back in the 90s, like for yourself or for myself, I relate it to stuff I like now, like Nike and Jordan products and stuff. So it's, it's, a, fun, it's a fun game, man. I mean, you
1: obviously have so much fun with it. <laughs> We, we do, man, same as you. And I want to say, to that point you made about Kobe, that is, um, you gave the appropriate caveats, and I agree, and that is a very good analog to what the this documentary is going to be because there's going to be all of this media attention that's focusing on a person, their achievements, um, but eventually the news changes subjects and things move on. And, and so I, I thought, I don't even want to try and – there's nothing I can add to it. You said it very, very well, and I want people to listen to that. I must say, I, I wasn't exactly sure how this interview
0: was going to go. I mean, I knew that you were – I had recommendations that you were the Jordan guy, but, man, I've learned a
1: ton through this last hour talking to you. Well, I appreciate that. I learn a lot, and I really appreciate the work that you guys do. Let me let me, uh, let me, me uh, move on from Jordan for a second here. I, yeah. I think that's what we want to say. Uh, I want to show you some Lucas. Okay, let's see it. Because collecting a modern player is brand new. Uh, I just started, my girlfriend and I really started a year ago. Uh, We got into Luca. Here's one of the ones picked up. No way. Come on, man. (laughs) Now, it's very interesting to compare to Jordan because we got this card raw for $8,500 about a year ago, right when NT came out. So to watch Luca values do what they've done is mind-blowing yeah, yeah. and so we also picked up this card around that time this is a prism gold you have a gold out of 10 yeah okay
0: so dude come on for those that are listening through podcasts and not seeing the youtube video he just showed me a national treasures luka Doncic ricky patch auto number 99 bgs 9 with a 10 subgrade on that and was it centering or what was that
1: uh no I'm uh oh on the NT yeah the yeah centering t-
0: uh,
1: is a ten yep
0: yeah and then you show me a prism gold rookie Luka Doncic the true gold the one that you were thinking of nine point five number out a ten insane man you bought these when like a year ago
1: yeah we we got very lucky on Luka we studied him for a year um, we thought a lot and hard about his market and we just said like we're gonna collect him as somebody that we want to collect for the duration of his career. And so I got advice um, from people involved in Modern Cards, and they said, like, the two most important cards you can get probably are, like, the NTRPA and the Gold Prism. And so we said, okay, screw it. Uh, let's get these. We're just going to hold them. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you
0: that those are not the two most important cards you can get of Luka Doncic, and also – even more so, I can't believe you even got your hands on someone wanting to sell a gold out of 10. That's what's the most impressive thing. It's not that there are 10. It's being able to buy one is the more impressive thing. <laughs>
1: right, That's right. Insane. It, it was just luck. It was, it was very lucky. And then like, so this season, we've been watching the Mavericks religiously and it's been so much fun. It's, it's a totally different experience to collect a player who's active versus a legend who's not active and you know uh it, it makes it really interesting the those markets are so different different fundamentals different things like a guy having a big game or a guy getting ready for a playoff run can see can cause things like like the base prism psa 10 value running up to like 700 bucks <laughs> you know, yeah, it's
0: and, you, know ridiculous. you
1: guys have Giannis, you know and i know you guys follow Giannis closely and you guys have some sweet Giannis cards and like it, that's a very similar thing too, but Giannis is even more established as a yeah, as a yeah. real like MVP perennial challenger for a title type of thing. I hope Luca gets there one day too. I
0: think he will. I'm very confident in Luca. I see it as right now the three biggest stars after LeBron that are going to be over the next five years is Giannis, Luca, and Tatum. That's what I see, and I'm I'm very excited, very excited for it.
1: What about what about Zion? How do you think? What do you think about Zion? I,
0: I I love Zion. My only thing with him is that it's the market dynamics are so different from a guy like Luka and a guy like Giannis, who I think are are one hundred percent priced accordingly based on what we've seen. I think that Zion's phenomenal. I absolutely hate how many people bashed him before he even played a game. All through the beginning of the season when he wasn't playing, like dudes, he hasn't even played a game yet. And you guys are just saying that he's trash and he's going to be a bust. Like, I mean, this is ridiculous. Came out, obviously showed he's had one of the best 19-game stretches by a teenager ever in the NBA. And I think that he can do it long-term, given that he progresses as he should. Because I think that there is something to be said for needing to become in better playing shape to last long-term. I think it will happen. I mean, I don't see a kid who has everything available to him to do it, who wants to do it and who can do it, and who's already amazing, not want to be as best as he can be. Maybe there's just a little bit of a lag here where he just needs to work out for another year with the team, this and that. I think he's going to be just fine. The only difference is that when I talk about Zion, you got to look at his marketing like, holy crap. Some of this stuff is so highly priced, which is why I'm not like, oh, man, Zion is the best investment out there. I think Tatum is one of the best investments out there because of the fact that Zion is like three times the price of him. You know, that's – it's interesting. There's so much to be said about Zion. It's interesting because I think that Zion is just such an amazing basketball player, but his cards are so expensive. So it's just a uh, going at each other, and we'll see what happens. I mean, people are laying down. You, I mean, you're probably looking at it like, dang, I can get some really nice Jordans for that money. You know, that's exactly what it's exactly what you're thinking, and I agree. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But the, the way I also look is, I totally understand why his base prism PSA 10 is $500, $600 right now. Because five years from now, if Zion's a top five, top three NBA player, by the time he's 23, we're going to be looking at that card. Like what I look at, the 2012 LeBron or 2012 Anthony Davis prism, that that is going to be such a nostalgic card for these new people that got into the hobby, which is why it's going to do well. That's just, I mean, I because I lived through the time of having that first set that you chase really hard that you love, and these people are chasing it hard and they will love it five years from now too when he's
1: the best player or one of the best. Very well said. I'm <laughs> glad I asked. That's, that's a great look at, at his market. Um, very cool, man.
0: Yeah, awesome. Are you excited for that documentary? Are you going to be tuning in every Sunday?
1: It, it's going to be ridiculous.
0: I, I awesome. can't wait.
1: We've we waited a long time, us Jordan guys, for like a moment like this, uh, so it's nice
0: well to our viewers out there on the youtube channel on the podcast this was part two of the mj week of greatness where we're talking to experts in the hobby who know their 90s cards who know their rookie cards uh just a great way to learn because this is a time where you know we don't have much live sports so what else to do other than learn more about stuff we don't know thank you for joining us and we will see you guys next time